Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. Anyways, uh, before I get into the message, actually, if you could turn quickly to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to read a, a chunk of scripture. Uh, before I do that, I just I think it's important that we honor those that um, serve God faithfully. And there are two, two friends of mine that I've grown up together. One was actually my first friend uh, when we moved here in 1983. We went to first grade together. His name's Steve Martinez. He has calves like I always wish I had. I'm, I'm, he's, he's a genetic freak. It's pretty amazing. Um, but I love Steve uh, Martinez and his brother, another really close friend of mine, Joe Martinez. If you don't know this, and I think, again, it's important that we honor them. Steve, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, received the Medal of Valor and Silver Star Award. Police officers. It's pretty incredible. And then Joe received the Medal of Valor and the Chief Con- Com- Commendation Award. I think I pronounced that correctly. So Steve and Joe, can you, are you guys here? Maybe they're not even here. Are they out? There's Joe. There's Joe. Come on. We love you guys. Uh, Steve and Joe helped make our city safe, safer. Uh, they coach my sons in football, and they're great for them. Steve is actually, I think, in kid te- teaching uh, the boys. Good luck, Steve. Good luck. But I uh, just love you guys so much. You have no idea how much um, I love you guys. All right. Uh, if you turn quickly to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 13. Uh, today, if you're taking notes, I'm going I'm, I'm to essentially talk, give me about 25 minutes, I'm going to talk about courage. How many of you want more courage in your life? Um, I, I think we all want uh, the courage to do the right thing. Like, I, I, I want more courage to rejoice. I'm going to read this in the next uh, few minutes. I want the courage to rejoice always. Paul talks about this. I want the courage, I'm sure I'm under the assumption that uh, you want the courage to believe in spite of what we see, right? Uh, in, in a world that's constructed around hostility, uh, I want the courage to uh, broker peace with people. I, I want to be a peacemaker, right? Uh, I, I want the courage uh, to, to instantiate the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said to love your enemies, and that means all the Oakland Raider fans. I need more courage to love you guys, right? Uh, courage. I think we all want more courage. I want courage to pray without ceasing. I want the courage, and this is kind of like the Christian dialect uh, stuff, but I want the courage to give thanks, and this is difficult, in all situations. I want the courage to do right. I want, I want the courage to live a in, 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 uh, life of integrity. I want the courage to live uh, within the fullness that Jesus offers us. I want the courage to say things that I know might not be popular. I want the courage to speak the truth in love. I want the courage to love and to welcome the stranger and to be all that God has called me to be. I know we want that kind of courage. 
Where does that source of courage come from? I'm going to answer that question before I do that. Uh, the reason why I'm talking about courage is because I think we're pro- it's, it's pretty obvious that we're living in a time of political upheaval. Uh, we're, our, our culture uh, is increasingly, and it feels this way, or I'll say life feels fragilized. Everyone say fragilized. It's a word I made up, okay? Uh, everything feels, the culture, uh, the political landscape feels fragile. Uh, there's this, we're kind of living in this cultural global mess where now we have two different visions. We have globalism versus uh, nationalism. And so you have the open borders versus the closed borders talk. And I'm not like trying to be political here today, but it's creating a lot of hating. It's creating a lot of invective. Uh, we're, we're living in a world where parties are now defined by this binary approach to life. And people are unsettled. Institutions are also failing. Uh, I've, I've read many articles this last week and over the last um, actually few months uh, titled, Has the World Gone Mad? Uh, the Christian response to that, no, the world hasn't gone mad because it's already been mad, right? So we live and it's we're, because of the fragilization of culture and institutions that have failed us and left much to be desired. We're living or that living under the illusion that an iPhone and, um, let's say, Netflix, if you like Netflix, there's nothing wrong with it, and a strong economy can save us. That illusion is being shattered. Uh, no, no longer are, are people trusting, no longer people uh, are, are optimistic that institutions can can rescue us. Facebook promised that uh, they would bring people together, and what you find more often than not on Facebook is that people are shaming each other. You go to Twitter. Twitter promised the offering of great ideas, brilliant ideas, and more often than not, you have people hating on each other using caricature and invective and slander and besmirching each other's character without even knowing the stinking person. Lord have mercy. Politically, we all feel like we're in this tectonic shift or these, con- these really shaped, our politics are shaped by uh, these convulsions. And not only that, on a personal level, uh, there are some of you here today, you are tired and you need some courage. You are exhausted. Some of you this week, you doubted a lot. You doubted the goodness of God. And even right now, you are doubting that God is good. That's okay. I'm not here to judge you, but you are doubting. Some of you are afraid. Some of you, maybe it's more visceral. You, you feel unnoticed, un, unappreciated. Maybe you even feel unsophisticated, right? You, you, you don't wear the right clothes, or maybe you don't use the right jargon, or maybe you came from uh, CUNA. <laughs> Kidding. Stop it. Right? But you feel... You, you feel like, um, not pariah, but maybe on the outside. You feel like an outsider. Um, some of you, there's even a, a more depth and texture to your, um, your uh, feeling of, of going through difficulty. It's called suffering. You've lost your job. You've lost your health. You've lost your marriage. You feel like you're in this tragic, comic country song, and you don't know what to do. And no one likes con- country music anyways, so... Guys, if you want to be depressed, listen to some country. Come on, we, little, we, we need a little more hip-hop in our lives. All right. So courage, we need, 
We need courage. We need courage when we're tired. We need courage when we're exhausted. We need courage when we're doubting. We need courage when we're afraid. We need courage when we're suffering. Uh, We need courage when we feel like we're not living our best life. We need courage. We need more courage. We need courage to do the right thing. Where do we get that courage? What's the source of courage? And Paul gives us the answer in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I'm just going to read beginning in verse 13. This is his answer to courage. The church in Thessalonica, they're going through a lot of persecution and suffering. Uh, Friends of theirs, people in this this small church have passed away. They have questions. They're confused. Paul made it very clear in chapter 1 that they received the gospel uh, in fullness, power, filled with the Holy Spirit. They were full of assurance. God did great things. But now they're going through a difficult season. And this might be you. You might be going through a difficult situation in your life and you need more courage. And this is what Paul does to answer and to help form or at least be a catalyst for courage in their life. Paul does not uh, give them a technique. He doesn't give them a breathing exercise. He doesn't offer yoga. He doesn't give self-help. He doesn't say trust yourself, right? And I'm not dogging on that. If you're a yoga person and you like to wake up and stretch and get in your yoga pants or your stretchy pants, that's okay, okay? So please hear what I'm saying. I'm not like dogging that. I'm just saying Paul does not give what usually as Americans we give to at least help with courage and fear and anxiety. What Paul does is he gives the future. He offers the church in Thessalonica, the future. And we begin in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. See, Christians are people of hope. We got hopers here. We're people of hope. We're people of the future. Uh, Our vocation, I'm going to say this probably over the next few weeks, Our vocation is to give the world a vision of the future. And we do that by hoping. Verse 13, uh, Paul fleshes out the source of our hope. For since we believe, everyone say believe. Do we have any believers in the house? For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus. These are the greatest words ever uh, spoken written about Jesus, I'm going to say it again, Jesus died and he rose again. I'm going to say that again because first service, they were a little bit like, oh, that's kind of cool. Second service, hopefully you respond a little bit better. Jesus died and he rose again. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. He's practically talking to them about death and post-mortem existence. He's, over the next few weeks, we'll talk about really our misunderstanding of heaven as a disembodied place that we go to, and you shine like the stars, like Rihanna, right? That's not a Christian understanding of, of the end and the future, and we'll, over the next few weeks, talk about some of those uh, misunderstandings, deconstruct them, and talk about a much more comprehensive way of seeing the future. But verse 15, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Kind of a little dense, a little bit complicated. Again, we'll talk about this next week. For the Lord, as he continues in verse 16, himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, For some of you, this is going to look a little bizarre. 
right? This is like a little bit weird, a little bit eccentric. We'll talk about what this means next week. But with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. It's all about resurrection. Verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. As many of us think that this is a literal vertical takeoff, like God turns us into Iron Man. We'll talk about that. If you're afraid of heights, you're like, ah, I don't know if I want to be caught up in the, like, in the clouds. We'll talk about that fear next week. Again, a lot of Christians misunderstand what Paul is using uh, and talking about uh, the, when it refers to the future. So he goes, we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, I love this, encourage one another with these words. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So Paul doesn't offer a technique. Courage comes from the Latin word meaning to have heart. To encourage means to give someone their strength back, to give someone their heart back. So someone who's going through a difficult situation, Paul does not offer a a practice that can manufacture a feeling. Paul just offers a way of thinking about the future. That's what he offers. And it's simply by thinking like a Christian that courage rises up in our heart. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. For Paul, his worldview, his thinking, his theology, his missionary practice, his devotion, in the words of one scholar, are all inconceivable without any reference to the future. Paul is a future person. Christians are called to be future people. It's, it's kind of like, as an example, it's kind of like uh, riding your bike. My wife and I, we taught, actually it was my wife who taught our kids how to ride a bike. And one thing that she would always tell the kids when they were riding is you can't turn to the left, you can't turn to the right, you just got to keep on moving forward. You see, the secret to riding a bike isn't necessarily hand-eye coordination, which would be great. It's not just necessarily balance. Um, it's not just skill, but the secret of riding a bike is you got to keep on moving forward. You have to have a forward look. And uh, I think this is true of what Paul is saying to the Christians. The reason why maybe you're suffering or you're allowing the suffering to turn into grief and the reason why you're getting sideways or the reason why maybe your life is upside down and you lack the courage is because you've lost sight of, number one, who you are, and you've lost sight that one day God will make all things new. That in other words, God will have the last word over your life and over creation and over the cosmos and over the universe and over supernovas and over black matter and over all these little particles that are rolling around throughout um, creation itself. God will have the last word over death and sin. He will have the last word over cancer and sickness and chronic disease and brokenness and corruption and everything that is defaced. His beautiful world. God will renew and heal and restore and make all things new. He will put every wrong thing in your life right, and he will turn every grief and sadness into joy and praise and celebration. (laughs) 
but you have to have a forward look. Faith, by definition, is the substance of things what? Hope for. The evidence of things not yet seen. Uh, my wife and I, we found out quickly having three kids and driving around in our car a lot. If, if you're not a parent, you probably this might not resonate with you, but being a parent, you know if you have kids. One thing that you have to do, because I don't know why, why it's this way, but when our kids, when they turn towards each other, it just turns into a little apocalypse. Isn't it funny? They're in their car seat, and when they just, they, when they turn, they start fighting. They start sticking their tongues out at each other. They start kicking each other. They start saying, like, just, like, bad things. And I got, we got good kids. But we learned, uh, in order for us to have peace when we drive our car, we just have to say, you have to look, put your feet forward and your face forward. <laughs> and if you turn your head, <sighs> justice is coming, Right? And I say that a lot um, to my kids. I recently, we're in that season where I got to say that a lot. So as the lead pastor of this church, we're living, as, as I mentioned, in politically difficult times. The political cultural landscape is a little bit crazy. The world has already been mad. Um, I understand that. But as your pastor, and I'm 42, I look like I'm 41. But I, God has given me authority to say this over you. Um, some of you. Um, you just need to look forward. The problem in your life are not the circumstances that you're going through. You, you got to reframe things. You got your, your perspective needs, uh, I'll say it this way, you need the renovation of your, your thought world, your mind. Some of you, you're looking to the person on your left, or you're looking to the right, you're allowing yourself to be distracted, and if you're distracted, you know this when you're, when you're driving a car, when you're riding a bike, whatever, if, you don't, if you're not looking forward, eventually you're either going to have to stop or you're going to wreck yourself, uh, or things just won't go as planned. And some of you, you're looking at other people and other lives and you're comparing yourself. Stop it. And the reason why you don't have courage is because you're distracted by your circumstances and your suffering. This isn't to say that we eliminate feelings or we're trying to judge anybody for what they're going through. That's not what we're saying. All I'm saying is that Paul, uh, in order to bring courage to this church and in Thessalonica, he offers them not a technique. He doesn't say, okay, I want you to do this, 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 and this. He simply says, Jesus died for your sins. He came back from the dead, and he will return, and he will wipe every tear from every eye, and Jesus really is right now ruling creation, ruling the world. He is in charge. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords, and every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is king. And we've talked about this. We've talked about when you lose your focus, your forward focus, you can't manage the, pres the present. You can't manage what you're going through. It's like Dumb and Dumber, 1995. Remember? They were on the little bike, and he got a little bit distracted, and they almost crashed. Bad joke? Okay. All right. That's my one dad joke for uh, today. But we got it. We got to maintain our focus. We got to keep forward. The problem, though, with um, looking forward and future talk and organizing our life or managing our life, not by our present circumstances, but by God's future world, is that we live within this imminent framework. One scholar calls uh, Americans devotees of exclusive humanism. 
In other words, what that essentially means is that we, whether you like it or not, this is the feel. Everyone say the feel. This is the feel or this is, if you're a scholar, this is the zeitgeist of our, our culture, our politics, kind of our way of life, our thinking. We have constructed a world where we believe we can have significance without transcendence. We can have meaning in our job. We can have meaning uh, in a justice movement. We can have meaning in binging Netflix. We can have meaning in, in a strong economy. We can have meaning in all these things without God. We are a disenchanted generation. We believe we live in this closed system that there's nothing beyond us or out there. And we're just left to ourselves. And we constructed a world that's based on your best life now and self-help. And we're obsessed with immediacy. This is why when we talk about the future and we go to the New Testament and we talk about eschatology and all those kind of fancy words, words we just get, we get confused we get confused not because it's not true. We get confused because we're devotees of exclusive humanism. And exclu exclusive humanism is predicated on progress by progress. If we can have progress, if we have more technology, if we have better health care, I'm not trying to make a political statement. Please, please hear what I'm saying. If we have more this, more knowledge, more skill, uh, if we could just manufacture more goodness, we can, we can become better. And yet the early Christians did not believe this. The early Christians, in fact, did not believe in progress. They did not think the world was getting better and better under its own steam. Uh, they believed that God, everyone say God, God had to do something fresh to put the world to rights. Um, early Christians did not believe in an evolutionary leap, right? The Christians did not believe in this Ubermach or the Superman, which Nietzsche and famous existentials talked about. The Christians believe that only God can rescue creation and the cosmos and that we needed rescued by transcendence. People are haunted by transcendence, even though they live within this eminent framework. We're haunted by beauty. We're haunted by something out there, by something beyond. Christians formulated a vision for that. In fact, Chesterton, uh, G.K. Chesterton, he, he described the world as wobbling. The world is like on a seesaw. It goes back and forth. It's not necessarily getting better or necessarily getting worse. It just wobbles and goes back and forth, back and forth. It's not on a ladder, which many people think and assume, where the world is like going up the ladder and getting better and better. No, what early Christians believed is that creation needed redemption. Redemption doesn't mean, and we'll talk about this over the next few weeks, scrapping what's there and starting over again from scratch. Redemption doesn't mean, oh, there's a dilapidated house. Okay, we're just going to put some, some explosives. I don't know why I'm going there, but just go with me. And we're going to implode the house. We're going to blow the house down. Many people think that's what God's going to do in his future world. He's going to throw the cosmos, creation and bodies and solid stuff, into a cosmic dumpster fire so that we can have a disembodied existence we call heaven. No, redemption doesn't mean any of that. Redemption, the early Christians taught us, means liberation from what has come to be enslaved. God wants us to experience healing and freedom. So Paul says, guys, if, if you're lacking in courage, this is what you need. You need a vision of the future. And then he continues. He, he offers 
three or four different metaphors. I'm just going to read a chunk of, of scripture here. Are you still with me? Okay. It begins in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have written anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, that's uh, the famous slogan from the Roman Empire. This is the, f- the famous peace of Rome or Pax Romana. There's peace and security. What Paul is basically, for us, it's cryptic, but anyone in this ancient setting would have known that Paul was referring to Rome uh, because they used peace and security as a way to um, uh, offer security to the world. And Paul is critiquing Rome, but he says this, there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day, which is the metaphor. The metaphor of thief is related to the powers that have defaced creation. Uh, When God returns, he will make every wrong thing right. And so that would have been good news if you were suffering and under persecution and there was the threat of loss of life, that God would come and he would check the powers. And then Paul changes the metaphor in verse 5. He says, for you are children of the light. In other words, Christians are daytime people. This is the original woke movement. Okay? For you are all children of light, children of the day. None of you got that. All right. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Verse 7, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, children of the day, we're daytime people. What Paul is essentially saying is God's future world has broke in upon our sad, lonely, violent existence. And so new creation has been launched. And if you belong to Jesus, if you're in Christ, all things have become new. So since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for the helmet, the hope of salvation. Verse 9, we'll get back to verse 8. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, I love this. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So courage, according to Paul, is tethered to God's future world. In other words, Paul says, as if, if you want to think like a Christian, if you want to follow Jesus, you can't really have courage if you don't have a forward look. If your picture of the future is fuzzy or if you're not focused on Jesus dying for our sins, coming back from the dead, and then returning to put the creation and the cosmos and the space-time universe to rights, then you really can't live a courageous life. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if the dead are not raised, he uses a famous Epicurean saying, let us drink, let's just binge watch Netflix and watch the Dallas Cowboys lose, right? Because life is pointless. In fact, he says we have the victory because of Jesus and his death and his resurrection. So that is why we can be steadfast, immovable, knowing that all of our work, everything we do every single day is not done in vain or futility. 
So how you raise your kids, how you are at your place of work, when you go to school, everything you do as a baker, as a poet, as a person who loves beauty, whatever vocation God has given you, everything you do is not done in vain and will carry into God's future world. So what Paul is saying is that God's kingdom has broken in upon our world. And then he continues, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage, they have that word again, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all the time. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace, as he kind of, this is a crescendo. You have like these shotgun statements, and now in this kind of climactic moment, Paul writes, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24, he who calls you is faithful. He who calls you is faithful. I'm going to say it again. Some of you need to hear it because you are discouraged and there's nothing wrong. We all experience discouragement but some of you are really going through a difficult season. I just want to announce today that even though you're going through a difficult season, he who has called you is faithful. And I love the last clause here. He will surely do it. You know what? As a modern thinker, I got to be honest with you, I'd be like, Paul, can you give me a technique? Can you show me how to do that? Like, how can I get the courage on Monday morning after my team loses, right? Or whatever, my fantasy football team goes upside down. Like, or things aren't going well at work, or I'm going through, like, maybe a, a sickness or disease, or maybe some of you are really struggling. My kids, they're not serving Jesus. Or maybe, again, a, a problem at your place of work or at school or whatever, whatever you're experiencing. How can we gain the courage to do all that Paul said? There's no breathing technique. There's no yoga. Again, nothing's wrong with that necessarily, stretching, all that kind of stuff. Paul, what he offers is just pretty simple. He says, keep your mind on this basic reality, and it will set you straight every single day. You ready for it? And this is what you got to tell yourself. 
This is what you got to sing about. This is what you got to declare. This is what you have to talk about. This is what you have to think about. This is what you, this has to become your frame of reference. This has to define your thought world. This has to be your defining reality every single day. Jesus died for my sins. He came back from the dead and he will return and make all things new. It's, it's funny, in verse 8, it, it's all about putting on armor. And what Paul is saying, your greatest defense is you got to put on the armor. Verse 8 is a shorter version of Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 20, if you're familiar with Scripture. you got to put on the breastplate of faith and love, and you got to put on the helmet of salvation. It's defensive, right? And what Paul is implying is that you already have, if you belong to Jesus, you already have the victory, and the victory is your faith. You have the victory in every circumstance. That's why you can rejoice. Uh, You have the victory in every aspect of your life. That is why you can pray without ceasing. That's why you can give thanks in all circumstances, even in suffering, even in death, even in difficult situations, because God has given us the victory. His future world has already crashed into the old, sad condition we call old creation. And God is at work in a fresh way, making all things new. So our defense, this is a simple Sunday message, but our defense against all that the world of darkness can throw at us is Jesus died, he came back from the dead, he defeated death, he overturned death, and he will return and make all things new. There are days when, if you don't know this, I'm a type 1 diabetic. I got I to gotta say this. I got to speak this over my body. There are days when I feel like I have nothing to give, and I got to tell myself, in this state of not feeling like I have anything, I tell myself, Jesus died for my sins. He came back from the dead. This is our greatest defense, not a technique, not even reframing your attitude. Right, Not just saying nice, pretty things. It's just simply reminding yourself of the basic reality that Jesus died, he rose again, and he's going to make all things new. So when you're dealing with chronic sickness, Jesus died, he rose again, and he's going to come back and make all things new. When you're dealing with a problem or a difficulty or you're going through suffering or you're experiencing persecution, this is what you declare over your life. This is what forms courage. If you want courage to be who God's called you to be in a world defined by political hostility and personal hostility, you got to remind yourself every single day of who you are in Christ and where God is taking creation to, and it's a place not of unmitigated destruction, it is a place of healing and restoration and resurrection. So as we face the world where there are sudden convulsions all the time, crazy things happen all the time, what we have to do is we got to put on faith, hope, love. And we do that by reminding ourselves that Jesus defeated death at the cross. When we say that Jesus came back from the dead, we see that Jesus died for our sins, what are we saying? We're saying that Jesus is the king. We're saying that Jesus right now already is ruling creation. 
He's ruling the United States of America. It might not feel like it. It might not seem that way, but he is. Jesus is the global sovereign ruler. When we say that Jesus died and he came back from the dead and he's going to come back and make all things new, we also are declaring that God's future has broken into our violent world. And because we belong to Jesus, we have the victory. We're also saying that we have been given the Spirit of God. You don't need a technique this morning. Again, if you like techniques, that's fine. But what you need is the Spirit of God. If you belong to Jesus through faith and repentance, and you've made a confession that Jesus Christ is your King, and you've turned away from uh, maybe dehumanized habits and practices by the power of Jesus, the Bible's very clear. You have the Spirit of God. And if you have the Spirit of God, you have all the power that you need. You have all the resources you need to be who God has called you to be. In fact, the giving of the Spirit is much more than just having His presence. The giving of the Spirit is a sign that the future world has already been launched. I was talking to um, a really good person that I respect, um, a gentleman. It, it just hit me. Um, Conversation, conversation I had with him a couple weeks ago. He's telling me, like, really the past six, seven years, just some some complicated things that he went through. And um, he told me about how there was a season where God's voice was so clear. It was amazing. And then he went through just a season of just a lot of injustice and um, sickness and stuff. And in that season, um, he in his words, lost the voice of God. But within the last six months, God has really done incredible stuff in his life. And it's amazing to see. This is a man that I dearly love and dearly respect. And this is what he told me, that in this last six months, he's heard the voice of God like he's never heard before. And he told me this. He goes, Chris, I realize more than ever, there's a new depth to his understanding that the most precious thing that I have in my life is the voice of God. If I lose God's voice, I lose everything. I'm okay with losing everything, but if I lose the voice of God, I'm done for. But we've been given a promise that if we belong to Jesus, we have been given God's spirit. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. I'm going to bring this full circle. But man shall live, humans shall live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We've been given the Spirit of God. Also, we know that one day we're going to talk about this a lot next week. Please come back. It's going to be really controversial. You're going to love it. It's going to be half of you are just going to be like, ah, right, but you're going to love it. But God will complete the initial victory at the cross and make all things new. So what's our defense? It's not manufacturing emotions. It's not being true to ourself. What's our defense to what the world throws at us? What's the source of our courage? It's keeping our mind on God's future. It's getting on our bike. It's not turning to the left. It's not turning to the right. It's focusing on Jesus. You died for my sins. The world was completely transformed. The basic facts of our universe have changed through your death. And then you came back to life and launched new creation. All things are being made brand new. When you tell yourself that, and that in the future, 
God will wipe every tear because he has the last word. That will engender a new source of braving and living a courageous life when people are living afraid. Amen. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com.